Welcome back, everybody, to Big Dog's Porch. Come on up, grab a seat. So it is Wednesday. Now, let me first say, uh, yes, I, I did a show yesterday, a podcast yesterday, and then forgot to load it up. So I just got done loading it up, and then, of course, I'm sitting there looking, going like, oh, wait a minute, it's time to do my Wednesday show, because, you know, first I'm like, oh, I'm loading up a show. No, that was yesterday's show. Anyways, so um, uh, a couple things off the beaten path real quick. Like, uh, last night I was uh, read, uh, skimming through Facebook, and there was an article about Uber. And since I'm an Uber driver, I thought I would address this. Uh, in California, Uber is going back. Back in time to try to get around the new law that was passed in California. And, and if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, so California passed a law, AB5, I think it's called, that basically says that you can't classify somebody as an independent contractor, but still treat them like an employee. And that's what they felt a lot of drivers out there felt that Uber was doing. And let me let me talk about why a lot of drivers feel that way. Uh, over the years, Uber has done a, a couple of things um, for their benefit, which I understand, but as a driver, you know, of course, I don't approve of it, but I understand as a business person, they're, they're trying to show profit in their business model, right? And they haven't yet. And then, of course, they went public this year, so they're really trying to show. But anyways, so I started... Oh, God. So, um, New Year's Eve 2016, right? And so, you know, really honest and truthfully, 2017. So, this is the, my third year, right? Um, and I, uh, when I first started, if I did a $10 fare, I got $7.50, and then Uber did this thing where they decoupled, they gave upfront pricing to riders, which basically decoupled, and I'm using that word because it was used in the article, but it's a good, it fits right here, my pay from what the rider pays. Now, Uber always told us drivers, your pay is not affected by us raising these fees and installing these new the service fee and the Uber fees and all this stuff. But it did. Because now that same ten dollar fare is fourteen dollars, but I'm still only making seven fifty. So I lost twenty five percent of my income just about it. Cause now instead of making seventy five percent off of each fare, I'm only making fifty five percent off of each fare. So I lost 20% of my income. And then last year, they changed the surge, the way they do surge. So it used to be surge was a multiplicative effect, right? So same $10 fare. If it was surging to two, then uh, you would pay 20 and I would get 15. It doubled it, right? Three, 30. Uh, 750 times three, whatever that is, 2350, right? I think something like that. No, more, 2450. 
uh, anyways. So, um, so it tripled it, right? No, twenty-two fifty. Yeah, it's seven dollars and fifty cent times three. So f zero fifteen carry the one twenty-one twenty-two fifty. So, uh, so it basically tripled it, right? Boom, and and that is how a lot of drivers would would really make good money. I remember when I was down in Atlanta, and right before I came home for Christmas, Atlanta had a once in a decade snowstorm down there, and um, they uh, they um, you know. It's, it snowed and it snowed pretty good and I'm I'm a good old Virginia boy. <laughs> so I love it. All these Yankees come down here and say, You Virginians don't know how to drive in the snow and I go like, No, we know how to drive in the snow. It's called stay the fuck home. It's it's you Yankees that come down here thinking you can drive in the snow. The difference is is up north they do a way better job at clearing the snow than, than we we don't we don't have we don't put the money forward for, you know, road clearage. And besides that, we don't clear a lot of the side roads, and that's why schools are shut down for a couple weeks, because do you really want the bus to go down all those neighborhood roads that aren't cleared, slipping and sliding with your kid on it? No. So we just shut down for a week. Not the best system either, you know, but that's what we do. And uh, and then, you know, the, the people from up north and the people from out west that get a lot of snow and are used to it, they, they're the ones out on the road we're a large military area so you know they're the ones on the road causing all the problems because the roads ain't as clear as they think they are because we don't even use rock salt all right so they they pre-treat it with this antifreeze that never freaking works and then they plow it and they throw sand down sand sand don't do shit it don't give you traction it just slides on top and then it gets muddy so now your car is dirty stupid just stupid anyways i'm getting off topic Woo! add kicking in but down in atlanta it snowed right before i came home and i remember that night that it snowed and it got i mean like it dumped really good the airport was surging to eight it was the highest surge i had ever seen in my life for uber so imagine if I could have just went and got a $5 ride, right? Like five minutes around, you know, 10 minutes around the corner, a $5 ride would have made me 40 bucks. Now, because of where the airport in Atlanta is located, if I would have got a ride back to Buckhead or Dunwoody or Alpharetta or Marietta, right? That's a $20 ride normal without the surge right um well buckhead not so much 20 but it's close it's like 16 17 18 dollars right somewhere in there 15 to 15, between 15 and 20 anyways but marietta alpharetta is definitely 20 to 30 dollars because it's all the way on the north side of atlanta and the airport is on the south side of atlanta dunwoody the same thing uh, Marietta, close to 20, maybe not quite 20. Um, maybe if you're getting on the other side of Marietta, closer to Kennesaw.
but twenty dollar ride surging eight and they were pretty good at getting the interstates cleared i could have done it but i i just don't i don't drive in the snow that would have been 160 bucks for one fare oh and by the way the surge was at one o'clock in the morning so I'm thinking, like, there's nobody on the road. I was seriously tempted to do it. I'm telling you how tempted I was to do it. I really was. But for where I was staying, I was staying up in the Kennesaw part, so it would have been a 30, 35-minute drive more because I wouldn't have been flying. 35-minute drive if, if you're going the speed limit. I wouldn't have been doing that. So by the time I got down there, who knows? I know the surge stayed on to like 2, 2.30, almost 3 o'clock, but not quite to 8, but, you know, dropped down to, you know, 5, 6, 7. But that was ridiculous. Anyways, they took that away, and they started playing us a flat fee. So now that, that, that surge that was double, but they still charge the customers double. So that $10 ride, they still charge the customers 20, but instead of me making 15 like I would cuz I get doubled as well. Now they come back and they said, "Well, we'll pay you $4 and a quarter for that surge in that in that area." So now I'm making $11.75. Basically, I I lost three dollars and 25 cents and and i can totally see you know why drivers were becoming you know disenfranchised hell i even became disenfranchised you you heard my rant the other day you know after new year's eve i worked the same amount of time as i did the year before and i made half the money and it's totally because of the way they do the surge so even I've become disenfranchised. So this article gives me hope because I truly like doing what I do. I truly do. By the way, uh, I just thought about this. I had a rider in my car several months ago. Uh, I picked him up. He was dropping off a rental car. And I've taken him home, and we start to have a really good conversation and we get to his place, and, and I didn't kick him out right away. I just, you know, we, we sat there and talked, and, 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 and I've done that a couple times. You know, just something inside me, you know, just tells me to continue to, to run my mouth, right? And, you know, sometimes, you know, when I get there, I'll, I'll you know, wrap it up, let the person go. But this time, and he was willing to sit uh, until he had to go. Anyways, DJ... Uh, I saw on Facebook that you are done with school. You got your degree in psychology. Do this one old Uber driver here is extremely proud of you sitting there and following through on that. And, uh, and you go and you do and you chase your dream like we talked about that night in the car. And don't ever stop. And if you need any encouragement, anything, you know how to sit there and get in touch with me. basic shout out there so anyways i um <clears throat> read this article and it, it got me you know it, excited it got me pumped to you know to to stay to see because 
since Uber is based out of California, you know, they're, and with this law, they're probably going to try to do things there first, and, and hopefully it's going to make its way across the country. Hopefully they see it's for the better, and it makes its way out of California and spreads across the rest of the country. And you're just going to have to sit there and figure out uh, something. I, you know, I, I don't know. I wish I could help you, at, you know, Uber, as far as figuring out how you do things. But they, one thing they implemented in December, and that is favorite driver. So as a rider in California, you can have a list of your favorite drivers. I don't know how many is on the list. So, but let's say it's three. So you pick the three favorite drivers. And then you need a ride. And you click, you know, find me a ride. And it says, hey, your favorite driver is online, but he's, a, you know, do you want to use him? And you click yes. Okay, you're going to have to wait an extra 10 minutes because, you know, he's blah, blah, blah away. That's fine, whatever. And so you get your favorite driver again. That is definitely something that they need to spread across the rest of the country. Because there's a lot of people here in Virginia where I drive that says, man, I, I, I can show you the compliments on my phone. If this dude was my driver every time, I'd be the happiest customer. So they did that in California. And then yesterday they, they, they go back. So they rolled the, the clock back. So now they've, they've gone back to where they have a, no more upfront pricing for customers. It gives them a range like it used to. And then it's all figured out at the end with what the total is. And um, see, also, let me, let me tell you, with the upfront pricing, it was basically an estimate that they would give to the, to the rider, right? And their thing was is that uh, if it, if they, they took a bite, if they underestimated, and they got all the profit if they overestimated. And Uber always said that over the span of a bunch of rides, it's going to average out, right? So that not one player, that's like, you know, the house, you know, in a casino saying, well, if you play enough hands of blackjack, it's going to average out. no. It just, it doesn't, you know, the house, is, the odds are always to the house's favor. And I'll guarantee you that Uber was making a profit off of these rides more times than not. But now they're going to, it's going to be coupled again. And riders are going to make, uh, drivers are going to make 75% off the share again. And I think that's an, a great thing, right, for drivers. I think that you, um, you know, because it says basically the, the cap, the max that uh, Uber's fees and commissions and everything can be is 25% of the fare. So that $10 fare is going to make me $7.50 again in California. And the third thing that they did is they went back to a multiplicative effect on the surge. Yes. Hallelujah. So, let's just hope that Uber is smart and they roll this thing across. See, because, you know, you don't know how many times I, um, I get riders in my car and they, they complain about other drivers, right? Bad attitude, piss poor, insulting them. 
you know, we've seen the videos, and in fact, you know, that's one of the things that I'm I, I'm going to start doing also on my YouTube channel. I'm going to react to other uh, uh, other uh, Uber and Lyft drivers, you know, videos up on YouTube, and I, I'm just going to give an honest, you know, thing like who's at fault, who's not at fault, you know. Um. Not really assigning fault, but just sitting there going like, Damn, you know, that wouldn't happen to my car or, you know, or, or, you know, or, you know, why the driver do that? You know, just stuff like that. Just, but, you know, honest, I'm going to go make, you know, I've got a list already of some of the things that I'm going to start reacting to. And I'm going to start reacting to, I just got to finish, you know, the, the space that I'm working in so that when I record it, you know, doesn't look like hell back behind me. <laughs> so, but that's, you know, that's, that's what I, you know, that's one of the things I'm going to do. And then of course, keep putting my content out there. And, and, um, and this is just another level of that content. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's just those things, you know, I get those, those riders and they, they talk so bad about, you know, other drivers. And it's funny because I'm part of a Facebook group of drivers and all they do is complain about the riders. And don't get me wrong. I've had some lousy riders. I'm not going to lie. I've done, between the two uh, platforms, I've done 6,000, 7,000 rides. So, yeah, I've, I've had a few, but honestly and truthfully, the bad rides, I can sit there and count between my two hands. Like, no joke. Like, so even if it was 1%, 70 rides out of 7,000, would that not, would that not be still, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Acceptable, Right. 10% would be unacceptable. 700 out of 7,000 rides being shitty rides would be unacceptable. But, you know, I, I remember one time there was a driver. Oh, man, I just about mentioned her name, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to put her on blast. But somebody was talking about how they had got a bad rating. And she says, oh, don't mind that. It's always been unfavorable to me. And my response, because I've heard her so many times in the group, not heard, you know, but saw what she wrote and stuff like that. And, and you can just, you know, you can, you can read the attitude. You can, you know, you can just hear it, right? Did you ever think it was you? Like, seriously, it was probably you. It, it's not the writers. It was you. That's why you got a bad rating, because you are bad at what you do. Remember one time I had an Uber driver who was parked outside of a spot waiting for each of our next fares. Actually, I was waiting. He was off. He was with his girl. and So we was talking. I saw his little decal and we was talking. And uh, he asked me the question. And at that time, nobody had thrown up in my car. And I'd done over a thousand rides at that point. And he asked me, he said, how many people, you know, have thrown up in your car? I said, nobody. And he was like, what? He was like, I've, I've been driving now for six months, eight months, and I've had six people throw up in my car. 
And I, I looked at him and said, you know, at some point you have to think that it's you. Like your driving is causing these people to throw up. Maybe you're starting and stopping too quick. Maybe you're sitting there taking the corners too tight. You know, I mean, because he, you know, he had a sporty little car. You know, I mean, it was still four-door, but it was like, boom, you know, you know, zipping around these corners and stuff like that. Maybe it's you and your driving that is causing people to throw up in your back seat. I've done a thousand rides and I ain't had nobody at that time. And then that son of a gun jinxed me because it was like a, not even a week later. It was that weekend. Somebody threw up in my car. But then I'd gone almost from a thousand to five thousand fares without anybody else throwing up in my car. I've had a couple of close calls. But nobody else had thrown up in my car. So around 5,000 fares, I still had only had one person throw up in my car. And then this past fall, within the matter of three weeks, two more people threw up in my car. But now I'm, I'm close to 7,000 fares. And I've had only three people, knock on wood, three people throw up in my car. So, you know, sometimes you have to look, what is the common denominator of, you know, you are the common denominator. Look, I, I look at all the times that I've gotten a bad rating, and I know what the common denominator is. Me talking about politics, pissing off people. So I had a guy in my car the other night, a retired psychologist, I was taking him to the airport, and I had... Uh, he asked me why I drive at nighttime, and I told him because I'm an unapologetic. I didn't know he was a psychologist at this time, but he does the typical psychologist things. Hmm, you don't say, you know. But really, that's interesting. You know, those type of responses, right? But he goes, uh, I, I guess they can't shut it off even though he was retired, right? He was probably still making an assessment. But, you know, and I told him, I, I, you know, it's so much so. I'm an unapologetic, unabashed road rager, so much so that I was going to run for president and my only platform, plank in my platform was going to be, vote for me and I'll revoke everybody else's driver's license. And I told him, I said, a lot of people laughed and, and, and said, I'll vote for you. And I'm going like, you do realize I'm talking about you too, right? You know, <laughs> I'm talking about you as well. And he goes, oh, speaking of the president, what do you think about it? I was like, ah, nice try. Nope, I don't talk politics, brother. I was making a joke about how much I dislike other drivers. That was not a segue into politics, even though I did mention I was going to run for president. But uh, let's be honest, right? Like Most people understand the humor. I, but I, I guess... You know, so anyways, I was like, I don't, nope, I don't, no, I just don't. I said, the only thing that I, that I even scrape the surfaces is I tell people, if you think that either one of the parties, the Republican or the Democrats care about us, you're wrong. You're delusional. You're like, uh, whatever. And that's true, right? They don't, they don't, they don't give a crap about me and you. And that's why we just got to continue to do our thing, right? That's why you have to 
as I was saying yesterday, you have to dream the you know dream the dream, make the goals, and then follow through. So I went and picked up my granddaughter today, right? From school, she had to stay after for SCA, SCA, student council, yes, SCA. So I went and picked her up and stopped at a store, and I had $3 and change. And she said, you want two Pepsis, Opa? And I was like, no, I want two bottles, you know, the liter size of the Deer Park water. That's what I want. So it starts. You know, I did the official weigh-in yesterday. So it start. It started yesterday. I had a Pepsi yesterday. Even after the weigh-in, I, I you know, I because I had some in the fridge and I finished. And now we're going to I'm going to treat the Pepsi the same way I did quitting cigarette smoking, right? I'm going to see how long I can go without going to buy one. I know that a headache is coming. I know, but I'm, I'm willing to go through with it and I will, you know, have sweet tea at home and, you know, and, and maybe, you know, I'll make a bottle with me to take with me, you know, to work and then have that. And, you know, that way, you know, I'll get rid of the Pepsi, which is truly addictive and I know I'm going to go through withdrawal symptoms, which is, you know, going to be a headache. But I need to, right? I, I, if you didn't, if you missed yesterday's show, which I didn't really upload till today, 484, my goal is in 30 days and the, the 15th, so since I did the show yesterday, the 15th of July, uh, in July, that's not 30 days. Uh, the 14th, today's the 15th. Um, the 15th of February, I will be 450 pounds. So that's 34 pounds I got to lose in 30 days which is a little bit over a pound a day, which is totally doable. One of the best ways to do that is to stop drinking Pepsi. Like if I do nothing else but stop drinking Pepsi, I could, I guarantee you I probably could lose the 34 pounds. Because that's how much Pepsi I drink a day. It's ridiculous. So stop that substitute the tea and then what I'm going to start doing with the tea is reduce the amount of sugar I put in there to get to the point where I barely have it sweetened and also instead of using the pure bleached processed sugar I am going to switch to a sugar cane you know a, a natural sugar cane um You know, and I used to think that the sugar cane was sweeter than the processed sugar, but it's actually the reverse, right? The processed sugar, because the refinement 
you, you get so much more boom sweetness out of that that stuff but that's not the way it comes in nature that's not the natural way they've bleached it they've done all these things that's why you know it's white right so i want to go back to to more of the original and using sugarcane and to sweeten it uh and then start experimenting with you know the the use you know this maybe you put the sugar in the water as you're boiling it to make the tea sweeten it from the jump right i don't know we'll f i'll figure it out but eventually the point is, is is to 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 get it down to where i'm barely using any sugar at all if at all um you know to break my addiction to the sugar So I got, you know, the dream, you know, that I'm chasing. I got goals, and now the action starts to come. And the action started today. We're not buying a Pepsi. And I know it's going to be tough because, you know, I, I do drive third shift. And, you know, it's, it's going to be tough because, like, I use the Pepsi to help stay awake. It's my caffeine, right? And that's a crutch, right? That's all it is, is a crutch. How many of us are using crutches, right? How many of us are making excuses for our bad habits because of something else going on in our life? Well, I'm not anymore. So, you know, I'm going to juice the juices, you know, like I was talking about, and then I'm going to bottle it and I'm going to take it with me. And then I'm going to have the juice in the water, the juice in the water, healthy snacks while I'm out there. No more stopping at fast food, McDonald's, two McChickens and a medium fry, Taco Bell and the steak quesarita thing with a soft taco instead of a crunchy and a pep, large Pepsi, right? No more Wendy's, Dave's double, right? And a bowl of chili. No more rally burger combo, right? No more Whopper at Burger King. No more stopping at a 7-Eleven and getting one of their little pizzas, which for, you know, six, seven bucks is not a little bad pizza, right? It was better when it was only five bucks. You know, they've gone up in prices, you know. But still, it's, you know, not too bad. Doesn't matter when you're a fat person. You know, it's like food, and then and then you eat almost the whole pie by yourself. So you know, so all that, you know, little changes that doing that. So you know, so what am I going to do? What what is the healthy snacks going to be? Well, almonds, cashews. You know, I remember reading uh, a study a couple years ago that showed that cashews, walnuts, pecans actually um, uh, 
have really extremely good results with depression. I'm not going to say are better at, you know, medicating depression than the medication out there, but they don't have the side effects except for that you get fat (laughs) if you eat too many of them. But this is where, you know, it's like, boom. But so, yeah, I'm going to have some cashews. I'm going to, you know, a little serving. And, you know, if I feel because I'm, I'm in tune now more with my depression. So if I feel it coming on, I'll you know, eat some cashews, eat some pecans, some walnuts. <clears throat> the almonds sit there and help with belly fats. So I'm going to eat those. These, these are all things that I have learned from different nutritionists, you know, over the, the couple of times with my journey and, and reading different books on it and stuff like that. So there, there comes the knowledge. The knowledge is there. Now we just have to, as you know, my, my son sat there and said, well, dad, if you know all this stuff, why are you still fat? You got to put the knowledge to use, right? That's what I'm going to do. But anyways, it's Wednesday, right? Middle of the week. Week's almost over. You've made it three days. So my question is, is that if you still are, are are looking forward so much to the weekend because you just, you know, boom, get a few days away from your job. I, I'm going to ask again, what are you doing about it? To change it. You, you have to. You have to do something to change it. You can't continue to do Y'all going to get sick of me quoting Les Brown here. But if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. And that's the definition of insanity, right? To continue doing the same thing and expect different results. You have to change, brah. You have to. And, and, you know, that's me, and I'm, I'm making changes, which is starting to open up a whole different level of things for me, right? Like, I'm, 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 and the only part that honestly and truthfully scares me, and I have to keep that in check because I know it's fear talking, is, is that I've had these moments of clarity in my life before, and yet I'm still here now. I mean, one of the first times I had this this level of clarity, this this this, you know, was when my wife and I joined Amway, became Amway distributors, right? And to me today, it still is one of the best business models out there. But as with any model any equation when you ha- add the human element it sits there and and you know it's like putting zero in the denominator it, it you know it's the undefinable variable right and we just screw up the equation the model everything and you've had bad people who've taken advantage of other people in in the amway world but 
you know, you you've had bad people do that, you know, across every profession. You've had bad car salesmen, you know. I mean, hell, think about the reputation used car salesmen have, right? Hey, how you doing? My name's Reinhardt. What's your name? Bob. Bob, what do you do for a living? I'm a used car salesman. Oh, next. <laughs> like, really? Like, like, it's like that? Lawyer? Politician? Like, next? Move on, right? Because it's like, oh, my God, I just don't trust. I remember last, one of the last semesters, the last semester I was in school, I took organizational behavior, and he did uh, this thing, and he had like 20, 25 different professions, and then we had to rate how trustworthy, you know, from, you know, on a scale, one to five, how trustworthy. And then he, you know, broke it down, and you could see that uh, each profession and how trustworthy they were. There were some that just, that broke the age lines that broke the race lines that broke the sex lines you know that were extremely trustworthy like nurses uh there were some that were extremely untrustworthy like politicians or lawyers right but then there were some that was really you know because i'm a you know at that time i was 40 2000 in 10 so 10 years ago so i was 42 so 42 year old man 43 year old man uh white man i i didn't see police as bad as young black men saw police right and so i, I saw them as more trustworthy than they did and so it was really interesting to me so much so that if if I would have continued on for an MBA, I would have sought something in in organizational behavior, and because I, I really would have loved to done a thesis on how one person can change a company culture versus the company culture assimilating everybody, and and if it doesn't assimilate you, it just it just kicks you to the side as waste, right? Just like the Borg from Star Trek, right? We assimilate everything. And there are some very prominent corporate cultures out there. And I'll just use the military as an example, right? So my brother served 26 years in the Army. If you talk to him, he was like, I was in the Army. I know people who served over 20 years in the Navy. You talk to them, I was in the Navy. Same thing with the Air Force. I was in the Air Force. You find a Marine that served 20 years, and you ask him, well, what, you know, he'll you know, go, I was in, you know, you know, were you ever in the military? Yes. What branch did you serve? I am a Marine. Notice the difference, right? And that's a, that's a company, a corporate culture. I was in the Navy, Air Force, Army, but I am a marine even though he's been re retired for years i am a marine i just saw a video on facebook the other day about a 104 year old marine and he says i am a marine still served in world war ii wounded at iwo jima shout out to you sir thank you for your service to this great country and your sacrifice and what you did 
and to all the people who's even paid a higher sacrifice than what he did. But he still says, I am a Marine. So simple thing. There, and, and I remember that same semester I did organizational behavior. I was doing this leadership thing, and, and that professor there served in the military, and then he uh, the Navy, and, and then he was an editor for the local paper around here. And, and he was the one who really brought that attention. And, and, and that's how he talked about a lot of things about the company culture and how to lead and, and some things like that. And he's talking about Nordstrom. They call them Nordies right and there's just a company culture there at disney you know at other great companies right so you know so if i would have pursued an mba i would have wanted to do something along there and 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 seriously uh, my thesis would have probably been about you know uh you know the effects of one person into a company culture you know, can they, that one person change, you know, the company culture versus the company culture changing the one person. And I th honestly and truthfully, I th think it, it's easier for the company culture to change one person than it is for one person to change the company culture. Because we all have this feeling that we want to belong, right? So we assimilate ourselves or allow ourselves to be assimilated. You ever seen these hypnotists, right? And they, you know, they hypnotize these people. I can't be hypnotized. Because the first thing they do is they ask for permission. So you are giving them permission to do it. And I would never do it. No. I, I am not going to be a willing participant. If you can hypnotize me against my will, go for it. But I'm not going to be a willing participant. I'm not going to listen to your soothing voice. I'm not going to... He's like, oh, feel more relaxed the more you talk. No, because basically what he's doing is he's opening up the subconscious mind to allow for, you know, direct access. It's basically like, you know, uh, you know, uh, when you type into a computer and search into Google to search for uh, recipe for venison, right? With this, the linguistics and stuff to open up a person's suggestion, it's basically like getting to the code of Google. Boom! And changing the code so that every time somebody searches for something, it gives them a recipe for venison. And, but see, you, you have to give them permission to do that, right? You, you have to be agreeable. That's why a lot of people can be hypnotized. Not me. I don't trust a son of a bitch that enough to, to give him direct access to my subconscious. I don't. 
it's also one of the reasons why I'm 52 years old and only been drunk three times in my life. So I'm 52 years old and never done drugs, never smoked pot, and never will. I'm, I'm, I'm not losing control over what I consider my greatest asset, my, my mind, my brain. But the, the, you know, the the theory is still there, though. So the the company culture, and see, and that's why a lot of other people out here, the ninety five percent of us, because even though you know, in some ways, I'm I'm rebellious and go against the grain, I, I still do it within the confines of you know the you know within the parameters that have been established. Whereas these truly successful people, they break the parameters, right? Like, really, they, they bend them things to breaking point. They, they do things that, like, people think that can't be done. And then there are some people who become successful with, within the parameters. But the, the true ones are the ones who are not exactly going downstream with everybody else they're not going with the flow they're they're they're, they're walking against the masses right and and i take short walks and then I, uh let me go with the mass and then i take short walks again uh, so i've had these moments of clarity before So I have to find my spot now that this time becomes different, that this time I will stick with it and I will succeed where other, other times I did not succeed. See, and this is also the time, this is one of the reasons why you read. And notice how it's like everything is intermingled, right? Because I've tried and, and failed before, and I've learned from those failures, right? So that's why I'm talking to you like, like I know I've had these moments of clarity before, and, I, and at, it just at times, you know, so I... I need to find the different solution to push through at the end. When I get up to that spot where it always starts to get really rough and tough, I need to find something to motivate me to 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 give me the energy and, and to help bolster that that desire of mine to push on through to the other side. ET sits there and says, "You know, the pain is real." You know, it's, it's going to hurt, but don't quit because then the pain never goes away. And you see, and I quit, and that's where the pain stayed, and the pain got deeper, and, and that pain was depression, and that depression led to me wanting to commit suicide two years ago. And that pain and that depression led to me planning my own suicide two years ago. And but by the grace of God did he put somebody in my life that heard the unspoken cues that I was given. 
and saved my life. With a man that I used to joke that when we died, Satan was going to go to Bermuda because he knew he was coming down there to take over. And he was right there with me. He was like, damn straight. But this man sat there and was used by God to save my life. So what was it about my life? I don't know. I'm I'm. I'm still figuring out. I think I know. So, it's not going to be easy. Les Brown says, you know, it's not meant to be easy. It's going to be hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. See, but everybody just goes downstream like they're supposed to, right? They're the good little fishy. They swim downstream. But see, then you got the salmon. We're the ones who swim upstream, right? We go against the current. Because we got to get up to the spot where we're going to mate and lay our eggs, and then if we're Alaskan salmon, I mean, uh, we die. Uh, you know, the Pacific salmon, we die. If we're the Atlantic salmon, then we just swim back to out in the ocean. We come back next year and do the thing over again. We're going like, why are we doing this again? Didn't we do this last year? <laughs> the Pacific salmon, you know, because, you know, we had to dodge all the bears. We had to dodge all the eels. We had to dodge all this other stuff. We just get up to the top and we sit there and have sex, nut, and we're done. Like, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. Once is enough. And we die. But the, the Pacific salmon, they can go almost 3,000 kilometers inland. Is that not ridiculous? ridiculous it's like half the freaking continent of canada they'll swim to lay their eggs it's just insane guys and if fish can do it come on swim against the current be different what do you got to lose like, really, everything you've done so far has put you where you are now. And if you're happy, dude, good on you. I, I applaud you. If you're happy where you're at, then just continue to do what you've done. But if you're not, if there's that little part, piece of you that still wants something more, and it's not a little piece of me, it's the whole me. I want something more. I want something more than what I have had for the last 52 years. I've paid my dues. Now, I need to, since I've already paid, 
let's put it this way. Moved into the house that we're living in, 1992. We rented this place for 20 years. Rented this place for 20 years from our landlord. Paid off the mortgage. Simple, right? Listen, if we would have switched up early, like two to three years in, switched it up to where we was buying this place, we would own this house outright by now. But we didn't. We paid a rent. And, you know, hey, look, something needed to be fixed. You call the landlord, he comes out and he's got to fix it, right? Bah, that's cool. You know, now as a homeowner, something goes wrong, we got to pay for it, we got to fix it, right? Man, that sucks. But we rented. And then, oh, what was it? I think it was 2013, 14, somewhere in there. Uh, developed a leak under the house, did some wood damage, structural damage to the, to the, to the, Joyce's underneath the house landlord said I need you to move out of the house so I can fix it well, I didn't want to move out of the house I really honestly and truthfully got this fear in me that if he got me out of the house I could never get back into my house and I raised my kids here my oldest daughter was born in 1989 so she was only three years old when we moved in here I raised all my kids here my boys were born in here I raised them in this house I didn't want to take the chance of getting put out of this house and never being allowed back in. So I told him I'd buy this house as is. Now he cut us a really good deal. The house was valued at so much, but because we was good tenants for all those years, he sold it to us for sixty-five thousand, I think. It was valued at around one hundred twenty-eight thousand. So we automatically had all this equity in the house, right? Which we, we haven't touched. Now we only owe somewhere around fifty thousand, right? Fifty two thousand, somewhere in there. But it's a twenty year mortgage, right? He didn't give us a full thirty year. He put it at twenty years so that we paid it off. We would already had it paid off if we would have done this early. The house would have been ours free and clear. Think about it, right? Think about it. So, I've paid the dues in my life many times over. But now I'm going to have to go back through and pay them again. Because I have to do the work. And you don't pay the dues until you sit there and do the work. So, I got to do it. And I'm, I'm willing to do it. Because I got a dream of living in that apartment in Chattanooga, Tennessee with that 2,000 square foot veranda sitting out there with a bottle of 23-year-old Pappy Van Winkle and three to four to five of my closest friends 
some really nice cigars. My brother, maybe my dad as well. So maybe we need, you know, two, three, four friends and my brother and my dad. And maybe we need two bottles. Maybe we get a bottle of Pappy and then another bottle of something, something else. And we pop them. We sit there and we sip the whiskey. Smoke the cigar. On that veranda. At or sunset, dusk. Looking out as the city lights start coming on. And the sun's setting behind the mountains. Because, you know, Chattanooga's right in the middle of the Smoky Mountains, right? Looking at the, you know, the river. The because you look down on the cross, the walk, walking bridge across the river, the Tennessee River, right? So you look down at that, and those lights come on. There's a museum right there. Those lights come on. And the city lights come on. Everything. I mean, see, that's that's what I see when when i when it starts to get a little bit tough for me and i ask why am i doing this that's why i'm doing this that's why you got to find your why before you figure out how and what you're going to do you need to find out why why are you going to be willing to put up with all of the crap that's going to come at you for doing it because trust me once you start doing something different than everybody in your group is doing to better yourself you're going to get flack and you got to have a big enough powerful enough strong enough why to help you power through it. So why? That to me that's that's one of the the, the biggest questions. So anyways guys, really enjoyed this. We'll see you next time y'all come back now to Big Dog's Porch.